This week is a takeover week for the Knowledge Graph Conference, which is happening May 2nd through 6th in person in New York and online, and with the 4th through the 6th being kind of the main conference days and the 2nd and the 3rd being workshop days. So the reason why I wanted to do a takeover is I think that knowledge graphs are very crucial, but that I just haven't seen a lot of information about knowledge graphs and how to apply it to data mesh, or even generally that there's a lot of people within the community that um, are as knowledgeable on what knowledge graphs are and how they can be useful in a data mesh implementation. So that's why we agreed to a takeover week. Uh, We also agreed because they are doing a free ticket giveaway. You can see the show notes for more information on this. But I do think that Knowledge graphs is something that a lot of people uh, should be looking into as to how can we leverage these so that we can think about exploring data connectivity between data products and between domains in a much easier fashion, especially so that we don't lock ourselves into overly rigid ways of sharing data so that domains themselves can evolve and that we can also think about the overall evolution of the broader organization. So again, uh, if you want to look at more information about the conference or um, sign up or look again for that, that free ticket giveaway, please do check the show notes. Thanks. Hello to the Data Mesh community. My name is Thomas Deedy, co-founder of the Knowledge Graph Conference, and I'm excited to announce our fourth and largest conference, taking place at the beautiful Cornell Tech Campus in New York, and also streamed live on our virtual platform the first week in May. This year, we're adding new content focused on topics such as Web3 and decentralization, SEO, data architecture, open knowledge network, and and an entire track dedicated to business use cases. We're excited to welcome over 75 leaders from across the globe, including some amazing keynotes. We'll have over 20 workshops and tutorials and 10 tracks in the conference across the five days. We're running an in-person symposium on healthcare and life sciences, a tools and demos track, and we're also continuing our successful startup pitch event. And importantly, we're organizing numerous in-person networking events during each day and also in the evenings of the conference. So looking forward to seeing you in New York or online the first week of May, and do take the time to enter the raffle. Thank you. As stated in the intro bit, this is a takeover week for the Knowledge Graph Conference, which will be taking place the first week of May. Please do check the show notes for information on the ticket giveaway, as well as to learn more about the conference. I think Knowledge Graphs are an important topic for data mesh and that people should learn more. On that note, on Monday, we're going to have a special episode where I had put out kind of a general call for people to share their short definition of what is a knowledge graph. I think it's important to understand that there are multiple angles on this topic and that people can get a broad range of perspectives. It's also helpful to get that in short enough bursts to actually be consumable. You know, it can be quite overwhelming if it's a new topic to uh, to have a 40-minute session of somebody just talking at you and building and building and building. That's not the way most brains work from a context learning standpoint. 
We also have three really awesome interviews this week with our guest host, Ellie Young, who's the founder of Common Action and is the former head of community for the Knowledge Graph conference itself. The bottom line upfront summaries for those episodes will be part of this episode as per usual after the weekly summaries and announcements. On Tuesday, the episode is going to be Insights from Deploying Data Mesh and Knowledge Graphs at Scale, which is an interview with Veronica Haderlein Hjogberg. Ellie interviewed Veronica on her experience deploying something that was essentially a data mesh before Jamak had published her first blog post on data mesh. That was what she was working on at the Norwegian Tax Authority. And Ellie and her also chatted about her work deploying a knowledge graph at Fraunhofer and kind of the differences and the overlaps and, and how uh, you, you can learn about how to do data mesh right from doing knowledge graphs and vice versa. On Wednesday, we'll have using a knowledge graph for a data marketplace and data mesh for retail, which is an interview with Olivier Volverek. Ellie and Olivier discussed Olivier's work in deploying data mesh with a large retail client while working for Octo, and Olivier's beginning stages of knowledge graph deployment for a data marketplace use case with a second client. It's in early days, but they're also looking at should they then use that knowledge graph for their internal uh, data management as well. On Thursday, there'll be a mesh musing, and I'm going to be calling out some vendor BS specifically by name. It might get a little bit spicy, but it's getting out of control again. And I think it's time to specifically talk to what what you should look out for when looking at what vendors are saying. If they're trying to say, we can solve all of your problems, you should definitely really think before engaging with them because they're going to try to lock you in in a way that's not helpful. On Friday, we've got Knowledge Graphs as the engine for collaboration across data. And that's uh, an interview with Ellie with uh, Philippe Hui. So Ellie and Philippe chatted about Philippe's journey discovering and beginning to use Knowledge Graphs and how Knowledge Graphs are very useful in an uncertain and changing world to share information about specific domains and how they fit into the greater whole of the organization. I think you'll get a, a really good sense of how knowledge graphs can be used when there's a lot of uncertainty and, and as things are changing. So there's been some talk as to when you start to really think about using a knowledge graph in a data mesh deployment. And this might say it might make more sense to do it earlier than a lot of people have thought. Philippe specifically called out Terminus DB as being set up to enable them to evolve quickly and easily. On the overall Data Mesh Radio side, the Patreon should have the next three weeks of interviews posted by uh, end of Monday. So it'll be, you know, the following three weeks should all be up there. On the community side, really, we need people driving things that aren't me. I, I know I say this a lot, but just step up. 30 to 45 minutes every two weeks from 10 people can drive the community very, very far. Do we want Data Mesh to actually succeed? Do we want people to learn how to do this? Do you want to be part of the conversations so that you learn you, you learn how to do this and that you build those relationships to continue exchanging information? Step up. People aren't, aren't stepping up. It's volunteering and then low follow through on, on what they actually want to do. It's becoming a major devoted, 
demotivating factor, quite honestly. It makes it seem like people just don't care. So be part of the core group pushing data mesh forward, pushing the community forward, but also the practice. You can quite easily make a name for yourself in the process. I don't care. I don't care if people want to be famous as part of this, as being part of the solution. I care that people don't have to go through toil work. And so if that's part of what you want to do is be known as somebody who's who's an expert on this, great. That's part of helping the community do it, but step up. So with that, on to the summaries. In this episode of the Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week, special guest host Ellie Young, who's the founder of Common Action, interviewed Veronica Haderlein Hjogberg. Veronica was employed at Fraunhofer uh, Geschelschaft <laughs> at the time of recording, but was representing her own views only and, and her own experiences. She was invited on for her special mix of both data mesh and knowledge graph know-how as, as she's one of the, the few people that has uh, worked on both types of implementations at a larger scale over a, uh, a longer period of time. So at Fraunhofer, uh, Veronica's employer up until recently, she and the team were implementing a knowledge graph to help with decision support for the organization. And and previously, Veronica worked on a data mesh-like implementation as part of the Norwegian public sector uh, at the Norwegian Tax Authority specifically, before the data mesh concepts was really even congealed into a singular form by, by Jamak. Veronica and Ellie wrapped the conversation with a few key points. First, to have good data, you need to have good context sharing. To have good context sharing, you need conversations. Data can't only be about the bits, and we can't do everything with just computers. Second, curiosity is crucial, both on the individual level, but also at the domain and organizational levels. If people don't feel comfortable asking questions, context sharing becomes limited. So on to kind of the flow of the conversation. Veronica's recent organization, Fraunhofer, is using a knowledge graph as they need to make their investment decisions much more data-driven. They need to do analysis across many different sources. They have some slight control over internal data sources you know, from other departments and things like that. But essentially, there's no control over external sources. You know, I know a lot of people probably have felt that. <laughs> They're repeatedly doing harmonization across these sources, often the same harmonizations over and over. Veronica believes they shouldn't have to do the, the harmonization manually, so they needed to build out that translation layer. That's what they're using the knowledge graph for. To build out their knowledge graph, they needed business experts to work with the ontology experts. However, it is a struggle for time and attention from the business experts. And those business experts need to learn the importance of and how to do ontologies. This is when Ellie mentioned that by centralizing the integration, it might cost more or, or at least it might cost a lot or at least more effort up front, but it's necessary if you only want to do that harmonization work once and that you're not doing it manually. For Veronica, 
thinking in the data as a product mindset and having data owners is crucial to getting a knowledge graph implementation right. She said a knowledge graph is a, a different way of expressing and sharing your knowledge. It's just in a way that computers can also understand it, not just the humans. That framing helps people to understand why knowledge graphs are, are useful and important. So on to the data mesh implementation background and insights from Veronica's past experience. At the tax authority, Veronica's team of information architects were working to translate tax law in, into data models. They discovered the need of a common methodology to create the models, and they chose UML. And then other authorities needed to use the data that the tax authority team was, was producing as well. So the team began working to create data standards for efficient sharing, both the uh, ingestion and the sharing on both ends. The Norwegian data mesh implementation for the public sector is even extended into a public-private partnership. Veronica also mentioned that Denmark um, now has standards for how bills are written so the legal aspects can be translated more easily into data and that the uh, Norwegian folks are, are kind of envious that they want to head in that direction as well. Per Veronica, their data mesh journey started from pains. They really struggled to consume data from other entities as well as internally. They started by making it easy to consume data from those other entities without creating a large burden on those producers. They learned about good and bad practices on sharing data and which tools were best to use for data modeling. All the decisions were in small partnerships. This is kind of a common theme in a lot of data mesh journey stories of not trying to make all of your standards up front. Um, there's an episode coming up with Samia Rahman who, who talked a lot about iterate, 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 that you don't have to solve everything fully up front. For Veronica, a big key to success for their data mesh implementation was taking on those small partnership and making an environment where asking questions was highly encouraged and even making mistakes was okay. This has also been a recurring theme in many data mesh radio episodes. Ellie made points that the community and communication are key to being able to make something like data mesh work. Veronica followed up that culture and quote unquote fuzzy factors are more important than tooling and even methodologies. Veronica discussed the silent fear that change brings and how that is such an impediment to getting things done. There is also a fear of looking silly when asking questions. So we need to work with people to get to a place far more comfortable with change and where curiosity is rewarded instead of shamed or looked down upon. Asking questions gives people the ability to grow as they learn new things and gives a conduit for far more information sharing. Documentation can't be the end all be all. You need those one-on-one -on -one conversations where people can really dig down into exactly what things mean. Ellie mentioned the need to stop focusing so much on the specific data in data processes. There needs to be a much bigger focus on people and the actual data creation process itself. Think about creating data for others to ingest with intentionality. For Veronica, she saw the organizational impact of implementing a data mesh very strongly. 
It led to a greater sense of doing meaningful work, which led to far lower churn across the organization. People felt they were doing meaningful work and they stayed around. Those cross-functional implementations had a strong impact and the people working on those implementations were far more engaged. Veronica believes that the fear of silos in data mesh makes sense, but people naturally want to prevent those silos. So allow people to focus on consumer needs and let them know that, that creating those silos is a bad thing and people will find good ways to get around that and, and to not create those. Veronica believes knowledge graphs are key to preventing silos in data mesh and somewhat vice versa. It is very difficult to maintain a knowledge graph across an organization that doesn't think of data as a product. The two discuss the importance of data reuse, even in the same use case, to prevent manual work. It's like a golden source-like concept. You don't have to figure out which, which data you can trust. That manual repetition of harmonization is what kills productivity and kills people's desire to work with data from outside their own um, domain or organization. Veronica made an interesting point that anytime you model data, it is almost like a mini knowledge graph. Each data model has a tiny ontology of the domain. So people really can figure out how to do knowledge graphs if they can figure out how to model their data. At the Norwegian Tax Authority, the working groups around the initial data mesh implementation started very informally. People who kind of knew each other beforehand, got beers after work, things like that. In a larger org, though, Veronica believes that the key to success is going to be talking and sharing what you are working on and talking about how it might work. Specific goals end up being very important because you need concrete deliverables, which make it easier to get funding. But again, you can start by just kind of having these chats. You don't have to have super, super specific outcomes in mind. Tim Tischler talked about the really big benefit of having these conversations that don't have ultra specific outcomes in mind. Just share that context with each other. In the Norwegian government in general, um, Veronica's team worked closely with, with lawmakers to define business concepts and initially thought that everything had to harmonize, but found that it was more important for each domain to define their business concepts the way they understood it and then make it transparent. It isn't possible to make all data harmonizable, especially up front. The world is full of variation. So you need to think about your business concepts and then not force them on others. Focus on that translation when you have the data in such a way that it's got high context. Otherwise, you will ne never get to publishing anything. They didn't quite go as, as far as the Danish government, though, which has created a role in the lawmaking process where there is someone who understands data enough that they can word the laws to make uh, to be able to translate those into data or a data model type concept. So Veronica believes as well when you're defining kind of your ontologies and your terms and things, you shouldn't use terms to identify concepts. Use URIs. Terms are just a label, not the concept in and of itself. She also believes it is often not necessary to make things computer readable and that you need to focus on creating a living organization that you don't need to solve all of the problems and tell people say, oh, this specific thing needs to be computer readable and that, you know, things are going to evolve and there's variation and that you have to 
allow for that. You can't have the rigidity that, that makes that a real challenge. So to finish up, Veronica reiterated, don't be afraid, be curious. Curiosity is a prerequisite for success with data mesh or knowledge graphs. In this episode of the Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week, special guest host Ellie Young, the founder of Common Action, interviewed Olivier Volverick, senior consultant and manager at Octo Technology. The first two-thirds of the interview, Olivier and Ellie chatted about a lot of concepts specifically around data mesh, and then they linked in those concepts around data mesh to Knowledge Graph in the last third of the interview. For Olivier, a knowledge graph is the map for the data that is available. Each data product, or you know, as some people call it, a node in the data mesh, is the representation of the knowledge within the organization. The knowledge graph is the abstraction of that knowledge across the data mesh, a logical representation on top of the data mesh nodes to help people make sense of the data mesh. Currently, Olivier is working with a client sharing their data in a data marketplace. They're working on implementing a knowledge graph on that, but not a knowledge graph on top of their internal data just yet. If they are seeing value from applying a knowledge graph to that external data in that data marketplace, they're considering uh, applying a knowledge graph to their internal usage as well. Olivier shared his view that it's easier to start with a data mesh than a knowledge graph. Any first steps with a data mesh is likely to bring you value. It's not the same with knowledge graphs. You have to do more work to get to the value with a knowledge graph. Now on to kind of the data mesh part of the conversation specifically. So Olivier previously worked on the operational side of software engineering. He realized they had lots of data sitting in databases, but the data was just a consequence. It was state data. There was no real temporal dimension. He wanted to apply machine learning to the data, but he was suffering from low quality data, just like the people on the data team. The producing teams really never thought about the data to be shared with others. For Olivier, the way to fix this is to put data back at the center of the domain and flip the script. Make the operational data store the consequence of changes in the data. Olivier believes there is a need to think about the semantics of the data as it will be used by the rest of the organization. Data can no longer be just an internal asset of the domain. If we believe we need the data to actually be used, we need that data to actually provide value. Make the data usable and useful. To get specific, Olivier shared a use case of a clothing retailer. They might be getting people's body type and, and measurements to help them choose clothes that fit better, but the company could also use that data to make better fitted clothes for a broader range of their customers. They might have more insights so they can change the way they tailor or design their clothing. Ellie asked about how can we standardize how we capture and share data. Olivier is not sure if we can harmonize how we capture data. So instead, we need to harmonize on that aggregation and that integration. Olivier also talked about the challenges around finding the equilibrium between data consumer and data producer needs slash wants. For Olivier, adapt is better than adopt. There is no by the book way to implement data mesh because that would never be applicable to any real organization. Olivier also mentioned the need for a framework for how teams will 
communicate and work together, such as team topologies. So there's a lot of background here around data mesh, which um, you know I think is very, very useful uh, and interesting. But if people have really done a lot with of listening to other episodes and things like that, uh, the part that, that really covers a lot of the knowledge graph is kind of the last third or so of the interview, and the interview is about an hour long. So the, the aspects of the knowledge graph part is in the last uh, third or so of the interview. So about uh, you know 40 minutes in is when they start to jump into a lot of the information about knowledge graphs and how they apply and kind of where Olivier's journey is with that. So uh, with that, I'll, I'll say, you know, this is a great episode and uh, I think you'll learn a lot from it. So let's go ahead and jump in. In this episode of the Knowledge Graph Conference Takeover Week, special guest host Ellie Young, founder of Common Action, interviewed Philippe Hoy, founder of Different. At the wrap-up, Philippe mentioned that data architects should be able to communicate in ways other than PowerPoint. We need new and better ways to express ourselves and the way things are connected. We will always need metadata around our data. We need text to express our ambiguity. But we don't have great ways to express things that are slightly ambiguous at this point, really. Something that's not fully formed, but also mostly known. A good tool allows to more easily query your your model, your data model of the world to iterate and increment on it. That is where knowledge graphs can be the most helpful. Ellie responded to that with, it's not difficult, it's just complicated. (laughs) So Philippe started his journey towards knowledge graph, especially thinking about the Adito project he and a team built out uh, for the Hack the Crisis Sweden event in 2020 around COVID-19. He needed a way to prototype, visualize, and collaborate on data and the connections between data at scale. A regular data model does not convey enough information about what the data is and how it relates. Ellie then shared some insight into the difficulties around collaborating on data across organizations and people in her climate change work at Common Action. Collaborating across organizations, all with different ways of working, you need a common kind of language or way of communicating relative to data, but you can't easily develop a shared schema, right? If you've listened to other people talking about developing shared schemas, especially in the life sciences space, you know, those standards can take uh, a decade to really form and, and, and evolve. So knowledge graphs provide incremental capabilities for that collaboration. Philippe talked about when collaborating across organizations, you still have the needs uh, that master data management tries, but often fails, to address. But there is zero capability to manage the other organization's data flow before it is it goes into the shared data pool. Philippe was having issues with open-ended knowledge graphs like SparkQL and OWL. They, they really needed composable data structures to be able to be flexible in the case uh, they can't fully decompose a concept, especially as the concept or their understanding of that concept evolves. 
For Philippe, Terminus DB was a big win uh, because it allowed for composable data structures and much easy querying across the graph. Ellie discussed the origins of Terminus DB being about collaborations across many entities and organizations. So it has a much different approach to accepting data that doesn't necessarily conform to a schema or data model. The get for data model concept in Terminus DB was also a really big win for Philippe as it made experimentation much easier. Ellie shared some of the changes in her work at Common Action working around working with many different entities, many of which are small and not that data literate or, or kind of data native, and how they need to enable collaboration without rigidity as things are so dynamic in the ways that people work and in the overall organization or the overall environment, right? When you think about the actual uh, climate change and how the global environment changes, it's pretty dynamic. So Philippe discussed the need for enabling people to collaborate in, in that messy kind of environment. The world is changing and trying to spend all your time and effort categorizing it into a single schema isn't realistic. He believes you need to enable collaboration in a truly distributed environment. The value is driven by micro-level action with autonomy and, and that those people that are kind of on the ground, that's where that value is really driven. So people making progress in their own domain, which creates the global value. How do you enable those people? Too often we've tried to centralize that collaboration and it doesn't work. The collaboration shouldn't be heavy, uh, shouldn't be a heavy overhead to driving that value creation. How can we flip that script to make collaboration the enabler? Philippe shared about how knowledge graphs can be used to manage compliance with security standards. You can map out much more easily who has responsibility for what and even identify gaps in your compliance adherence processes. Being able to query that information easily makes it far easier to make sure you are identifying and mitigating risk. Ellie talked about breaking things down into paths for what is happening and what is not happening, and then what needs to happen to actually hit your future goals. She mentioned it's a new way to interact with change and the unknown. For Philippe, we need to start somewhere in breaking down the complexity and visualize what's going on. What are the patterns that we can see? Let's model and share them in a low complexity enough way. You can start to see the concepts and connect them in a way that we as humans can understand. It's almost like building a hive mind concept. Each, each brain has its own context. And then when you share that context into the greater whole, it's impossible to know what incremental information or knowledge will be generated from those additional connections. But it's almost an inevitability that will happen many more patterns will uh, emerge, those kind of patterns of patterns. But we need to be able to share that context in some way to have those patterns emerge. Ellie shared thoughts about what, what is complexity, just something that is so big and or gnarly that it is, at best, difficult for a human to understand it all. Things are so interconnected, you can't just adjust one piece or aspect. But it's okay to not understand the absolute complete picture. We can move forward with confidence and or identify the most likely best challenges to address. You know, you don't have to have 
the full 100% picture to really understand what's going on and move forward. Philippe believes it is often sufficient to understand just the directionality to move forward and make progress. Knowledge graphs helps us to deal with the complexity and capture aspects of complexity in a way that makes it more understandable. Ellie talked about knowledge graphs creating better information flow about what impact changes or perspective changes to data we are sharing will have on downstream consumers. How can we unravel the giant knotted ball of yarn one bit at a time instead of mapping out the entire unraveling process ahead of time? Philippe mentioned that knowledge graphs aren't great for every use case. Look for the places where it really makes sense. Look at the specifics. While you can use graphs to manage the interconnectivity between the data, not all relational structures benefit. Then Philippe discussed what he is working on and, and kind of his ideas about when to release it. He's focused on making data modeling much easier, but doesn't want it to be overly technical. He wants to focus and, and guide and enable the change makers. It's going to be about enabling the collaborative aspects of knowledge graphs so people can have much better conversations about the data. And then people can express changes in data instead of in PowerPoint. Ellie mentioned what Veronica Hederlein Hjogberg had also discussed in her episode that you can model your data in the same way as you are used to in a knowledge graph, but it's a form of data immediately rather than taking that kind of data model and transforming it then into data. It's already kind of data native. We have to talk to each other to discuss our data conventions and develop a new relationship for business users to data. We have to make it so that it's easy for those business users to leverage the data. And so Philippe and, and Ellie think that knowledge graphs help us along that 